Welcome to this episode of the Rock Solid Love Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Evans. This is the place where we get to explore the difficulties and the gifts of being a spiritual being while having this human experience. Always learning, always growing, and always practicing. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you are choosing to spend your time with me today. Before we get started, feel free to hit that subscribe or follow button so that you catch every episode and we can go through this journey together. I know your time is valuable, so let's hop right in. Here we are at episode three of the Rock Solid Love podcast, and I'm super excited today to be able to introduce you to Gail Nicholson. I have had the privilege of being able to connect with her during this COVID weirdness, so there are some great things that come out of COVID and Zoom, being able to meet across the miles. Gail is an amazing resilience coach. And it's no wonder because, of course, she has an amazing resilience story that she has agreed to share with us today. So buckle in, have a listen as Gail and I get down to it. Ta-da! <laughs> we made it. And I'm so glad to have you here with me, Gail. How are you doing today? I am phenomenal. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Fi- Fighting a little bit of the sickness, but you know, other than that, we're good. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're you're well enough to be with me today. <laughs> me too. It's that determination sometimes is what needs to kick it over the edge, right? Right. Absolutely. So you're doing amazing things with your podcast and the spotlight and really I'm watching you expand and it's so exciting. Well, thanks. That's exciting to hear. <laughs> and, and I know that it hasn't always been that way. Like it's taken a lot for you to get here. Yeah. And so I'm extremely grateful for you to be here with me and to be able to share part of your story for anybody who's listening to the podcast that is still in that really dark place that you and I have both had to travel through. So I just want to commend you for the ability to be vulnerable and share and thank you for doing it with me today. You're very welcome and it truly is my pleasure. Um, I am grateful to still be here after (laughs) um, all of the things that I experienced, all of the things that tried to take me out, so to speak. I'm really, really grateful for another day above ground. This is coming from a girl that didn't expect to live past her 18th birthday. So I just passed 52 a couple weeks ago and every day is a gift. Woohoo! That, that is celebration worthy. So <laughs> can, you, can you tell me a little bit about like, why didn't you think that you'd make it past 18? Tell me a little bit about the darkness. Um, well, let's see, I grew up in um, the first, you know, like the formative years, you know, age zero through eight, inside of a home 
where um, my mother and my father had separated when I was six months old. So the modeling of what a marriage was, was husbands and fathers were absolutely useless, mean, and abusive. And wives and mothers were um, victims that served anyway, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so that doesn't exactly pre-program you for marriage very well to begin with, right? But I'm a- I am divorced, actually. Yeah, it programs you really well for divorce. Um, <laughs> but I also had uh, four siblings that were still at home older than me, anywhere from six to ten years older than me. Um, and, you know, when you talk about resilience, the things that give you resilience are the things that counteract the trauma. And my siblings, you know, some might call it Stockholm system or syndrome. Um, we all suffered the same trauma and banded together very, very uh, loyally. Um, so I, I, that was one of the things that I had going for me um, during all of that chaos when I was very, very little. Then my older brother went off to college as is, you know, normal path of life type of stuff. Um, he was 18, I was eight. And then my mother decided that the only way that she was really going to be able to separate permanently from my father was to go and get an education and be able to pay, you know, the bills. And um, so she left and went down on campus and left my other, my sister and my t two other brothers with my father. Now they weren't his children. I was the only one that was his child. They were from a previous marriage. So immediately my sister called up my godmother and said, I'm not staying here. And my godmother came and got my sister and my two other brothers, leaving me alone with my father. Now what you gotta know is my father was a ex-con um, on the run for murdering a state trooper in the state of Washington, a uh, school bus driver, pedophile. <laughs> so you can imagine what the next two years of my life were all about. Um, we lost the home that we lived in. He bought uh, an old broken down office trailer and found a tool and die company in Michigan that they let him put this trailer on their property and be their night watchman. Um, so that was my home base. I slept on top of a desk. The bathroom was not functional, but it was full of gallon jugs, full of my dad's urine. Um, my clothes were never cleaned. If I didn't get myself up dressed and out to the bus stop in time in the morning, I didn't go to school. Um, to follow so, up on that, the truant officer showed up in about two months. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, space, that time, that darkness there where I lost literally my mother, my siblings, my home, my school, my friends in the neighborhood, everything that was, this is the way life is, went away. And it was just me with a drunk living in a field behind a factory for two years. So how did you cope during that time? 
Like that is, that's a lot of loss and a lot of unsta like instability. There doesn't seem to be anything to grasp onto. So what, what got you through? How, and, and I realize that it, it's not going to be the same way that you cope now because when we learn better, we do better and it might not be the healthiest mechanisms, but we have to have coping mechanisms, right? <laughs> well, um, I, I was lucky at that at that point in time, my coping mes method that I grasped for um, was not unhealthy. Um, and that was actually, in, you may feel the need to laugh, go right ahead, the music of Barry Manilow. See, now there's a reason for this and why what you said about like grasping really applies because my oldest brother, the one that went away to college, very into music and theater and, you know, Queen, Six, the, Chicago, all of the symphonic, like, they know music kind of people, bands, that kind of stuff. And he would play albums. And he was, I don't want to necessarily call him my favorite sibling, but at my young ages, he was the one that would answer my questions and not get impatient with me. He was the safest sibling. The other ones, you know, did their brother thing. You know, he was like my teacher and uh, he would let me come in and, and listen to music with him. And he played uh, Manilow's first album and there's a song on there um, called Sweet Life. And essentially it's what I'm gonna be when I grow up. Well, if there's anything that a five-year-old can identify with, it's, you know, a song about what are you gonna be when you grow up? And uh, so that, that, those moments of safety when I had somebody there with me and we were listening to uplifting music or things that, that made me happy and inspired, that's what I grasped for in that moment, right? So you remember, you know, how they used to have the Columbia House ads and the TV guide, you know, send in your penny and order 13 albums or whatever. Well, that's what I did. And it just so happened that Manolo had like six or seven albums on the chart so I ordered everything they had um, and my dad took me to a, a Goodwill store or Salvation Army or something like that and got me like a three dollar portable record player and that was my coping mechanism. I would be in the trailer and I would imagine myself talking, I, not necessarily singing, I would sing along too, but I would talk the parts of the live album and imagine these huge audiences in front of me. And who knew that 40 years later, I'd be talking through three podcasts to the entire world, right? <laughs> but, you know, these are the things, the coping mechanisms. And I still do go to um, Manilow music when I need um, a space where it's okay to feel bad so that you can feel those feelings and get past them. Um, resisting feeling bad just has it as, as in the future as dread, right? But when you can actually face that feeling, experience it and let it flow, um, it's a whole lot easier to get back to happy. So yeah, there's, there's days when I'll grab a glass of wine and candles for the bathtub and my copy at 2 a.m. Paradise Cafe and do not interrupt me for the next hour, you know? Yeah, I, I am a huge fan now, of course, about 
of feeling through the feelings. And I often talk to my clients about holding a pity party, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To feel through it for that very reason. So yeah. I, I love that, that that coping mechanism, like Barry Manilow has kind of been that string all the way along. It really has. Is very cool. Yeah. And it's interestingly enough, when, you know, when you're going through, and maybe it's informed experiences because when I was very young, we went to church every Sunday. My godmother, my mom took us five kids and we went to Sunday school and my church was great. It was all rainbows and promises and Jesus loves me and our responsibility is to look out for our fellow man. So I actually had great religious experiences when I was a little kid. And then when the family disintegrated, all of that went away too. I lost God, you know, and as an eight-year-old, you know, without necessarily consciously thinking about it like this, you wonder what the hell could I have done so bad that even God doesn't want me, right? (coughs) And in that, you know, you set up this paradigm for yourself that God can't talk to you. Well, the fact of the matter is that God's always available, however you see it. It's your choice whether to receive that or not. And God is persistent and determined um, to make sure that you know that it's available, right? So I have a great story about one time that um, I was going to a post office in the U.S. I had a post office box in in Michigan, but I lived in Windsor, Ontario, Canada at the time. And um, I was expecting a check, and it was perfect. I mean, I had to have this check. I needed this check. And I wasn't certain it was going to be there. Um, and at one point on the drive there, I got really irritated for some unknown reason with the cassette tape that was in playing in my uh, player in the car. So I pop it out, grab another one, pop it in, get to the post office, pray, and walk inside, open up my box, and there is the check. And I come back out and I sit down in my car and I turn the key to turn my car on, and, you know. The cassette player starts playing as soon as the, the, the power is there. And the first one that came out of the speakers was, whenever you need me, I will always be here. <laughs> Manilo music. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, for a long time after that, I it's going to sound very strange, but I received messages about questions in my life through serendipitous or synchronistic Manilow music. And almost every time he released a new album, there were answers or guidance or something that I could take away from it for my own life. So it really did become a conduit of guidance as I grew up. And I owe a lot to that. Um, I really do because of all of the things that I have ever had as one of my tools of resilience that helps me deal with the trauma, family music is the only thing that ever abandoned me. Yeah. That, that's, that's amazing. And 
and I love it. To me, of course, to me, it doesn't sound strange. I, through my healing process, came to grasp with the fact that I'm an intuitive. And so I get messages from God and my spiritual support team all the time. Does not sound strange to me at all. <laughs> but so what was there one was there a single moment or was it a accumulation of things? Or was it just Manilow music that when you realized that you had a choice and you didn't have to live sleeping on that desk in in that trailer forever? Um, that's a really good question. And I gotta say, it, it wasn't just Manilow music. It, there was a progression of events that happened. Um, I was just kind of biding my time in the trailer with the Manilow music. That was just, you know, one endless day that went on for two years, it seemed like. But strangely enough, my father, um, in his pedophilia, got fixated on a little girl that lived in that neighborhood. And she would, she was an ice skater. She would go to practice and he went to try and find her, right? He took me to, here's, here's a really unsavory part of my life during that time. Because my father had me, it gave him access to children my age. You know, you, I would be used as bait to go play with other kids for his, you know, not necessarily, you know, like in a sexual way, but I was his wingman. That sounds so bad, but but that's the, the dynamic of the situation at that time, right? So in the process of him trying to find this little girl, um, we ended up going to a roller rink and he let me put the skates on and go out there and I had fun. And we got to go back next week. Well, I didn't know at the time, but he had been talking to um, a woman that worked for the rank about needing to find me a stable home that I could go to school from. And this woman took me home to her mother. Well, she was a grown woman. She had her own home. But she took me to her mother's home. And that very night, my father dropped me off at this stranger's house with a garbage bag full of filthy, stinking, dirty clothes. And I slept on this woman's couch in her bed. And the next morning he came back, we went to school and got me enrolled. Now this woman could not have been more properly named. Her name is Grace. And she was the Grace that took me from living in a trailer on top of a desk, you know, sleeping at night on top of a desk. By the time she got me, I had scabs all up and down my arms from scabies. Um, she took me to the doctor. She became my mama bear. And even when she protected me from my father taking me away again and had her life threatened, she stood up and refused to back down to him. And because of that, the next two years of my life, I had a stable home. I went to school every day. I came home from school and had an hour to play before we went to the rink to go practice for three hours. And then 
my foster dad would come and little practice and coach whoever would be willing to let him coach them. And we all go home together and we eat dinner together and we do our homework for an hour and then we go to bed. Brush your teeth before you go to bed. And it was it was the type of home that every child should grow up in. So let me tell you, the culture shock was enormous, but it was what broke through that initial paradigm programming that most people don't get that crack in their world to go, oh my gosh, it is, it can be a different way. And I can live this different way. It's not impossible for me to live this different way, right? And then the normal course of, you know, the reality of the life that we live in and the rules of the courts and stuff, um, you know, we had to have a foster care license. It's the job of the courts to restore the family. And after about two years of going through the court systems, the courts demanded that my mother marry her boyfriend and provide a home for us. Okay. Now that's great, but the guy didn't want to be married. And the home that got created out of that was just a different level of psychological abuse, not being wanted there, being blamed for everything that went wrong. I'm talking about, you know, me being blamed for what went wrong, um, you know, being a, a, a thorn in the side of this guy who, who's been dating a woman that didn't have any child responsibilities for the last however many years, you know? So, it, you know, that, that wasn't a happy situation. And by the time I was 16, I told my mom, you, both, you and I both know that I can finish school. I'm not doing it here. We need to find me a place to live. And uh, you know, good fortune, just like my sister was graduating from college as a teacher, and she literally adopted me so that she could provide a home for me in another state as she was starting her career as a teacher. So by the time I, I was 16, when I moved out of state, out of my mother's home, and lived as roommates with my sister until I graduated from high school. So that was, I guess, grace was that moment of, it doesn't have to be this way. It can be another way. And then, honestly, I spent my entire adult life emulating the life I saw in Grace's home and striving for that while still battling the programming that was programmed into me, you know, up till age eight. So it's been a very interesting ride, let me tell you. <laughs> well, and yeah, I, when we're talking about synchronistic messages, I love that her name was Grace. That is epic. And, right. and you, got, you got to experience something different when you were young, mm -hmm. right? And that strive to emulate rather than the struggle to create. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, think they both have their merits. For, for me, it was the struggle to create. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So well, I think honestly, to, to, to kind of pull that apart a little bit, when we visualize to manifest something into our lives that we haven't experienced before, right? 
our thoughts are always coming from what we already know, right? So we're visualizing something so that we can kind of trick our subconscious mind into, yes, we already know this thing that we don't know yet that we want, right? That's what visualization is. It's showing the subconscious, yes, this does exist. We can do this, right? It's a whole lot easier when part of that manifesting is actually something that you can point to that's already a memory. Mm -hmm. And train your subconscious, no, we're heading for this memory, not that memory. And it becomes, in my experience anyway, I think it becomes a lot easier to get there than when you're just imagining something. Yeah, something that might maybe you know possibly exist somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> convincing that has to go into the work there, you know? So in that whole trying to maintain the balance between like recreating what you had in Grace's home and also healing the trauma that existed because those were both present at the same time like what role did energy and connection play in your ability to do that mm, excellent question um gosh i'm not really sure how i would answer that like you mentioned I mean, it's always there really early on you had you had a good church foundation and a loving God picture. Like, did accessing that connection help you through those times? Um, I can't say that during that time period that I actually had like a conscious reaching out kind of thing. All of this time period, um, even until my early 20s, I was still um, feeling like the... Uh, God's forgotten stepchild, you know, like it was, I was getting the messages, but I, I wasn't proactive about it. Right. So when did that so, change for you? Uh, that changed. Cause you are proactive about it now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess that changed for me when I started in on recovery right around the same time that, well, see, that doesn't quite make sense. Let me explain. When, when you have a paradigm that you're shooting for, as opposed to a paradigm that was programmed into you, right? That causes a lot of spiritual upgrading, right? And you may not necessarily even be aware that you're spiritually upgrading when you're in it, okay? It's going to look like you can't, keep a stable relationship because you outgrow a partner so quickly, right? It's going to look like you're hopping around from this to this to this, whereas you're not, you're advancing through the energetic connections and who you resonate with, right? So, um, Grace is in my head right now. Uh, her favorite phrase was, you can't drag those kids from pillar to post, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and she didn't sound like that. God, I just made her sound like granny on the hillbillies or something. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't her, uh, but, but it was, it's that kind of thing. So by mainstream standards, you look like you're flaky when in fact 
you are in an accelerated program for evolvement, right? So I went through a number of men. Um, I, I never married either of the father of my two children, but I married two other men, um, <laughs> you know, and, and now I'm in a happy relationship for 11 years that marriage is not a requirement. Don't fix it if it's not broken. Um, and that, that is, it's not that there's no more room for me to grow, but I'm very happy with where I've gotten to here. This is, this is way different than the life that I grew up in before the trailer, the trailer whatsoever. It is far more in line with the type of home that I experienced with race. Um, and it's actually maybe even further along than, than that because I've continued to grow and now my kids are, you know, grown up and have their own homes. So there's a whole new um, level that I never experienced at Grace's that I'm exploring now, right? And all of this couldn't be done without that energy and connection but that's not to say I was conscious of it at the time, right? Um, Fair enough. When, when I started actually getting into recovery and learning 12-step principles and being introduced to the idea that I could have a God of my understanding, what is my understanding of God, and started reading other things besides the religious prescribed readings, you know, and Neil Donald Walsh's conversation with God busted my brain right open. I mean, it, it was, it resonated with me. Uh, Marianne Williamson resonated with me. I, I had the good honor um, to be a member of a church that she was a spiritual leader for for three years and the good fortune as well to have a daughter that was about the same age as hers and they played together. Um, so um, I learned a lot once I, more, once I actually started consciously seeking and, and doing what didn't apply for me or what didn't work for me or what victimized me because there is a lot of that in mainstream religion, especially towards women that subjugates them for, for its own paradigm that doesn't work for me. Um, I still, in the background, have this listening that men cannot be trusted, you know? And I think that, like that just struck a chord in me too, like the God of your understanding. So for me, my, I was raised with, with a God of somebody else's understanding. Mm -hmm. So I, I had that core, but I think that's like a huge piece in, in my healing journey too, is separating out what is somebody else's understanding and learning what your understanding actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a huge difference. So I, I know we said we'd keep it to about 40 minutes. So through all of that, I, I love and I firmly believe that our greatest light 
it resides within our deepest darkness, right? And once you embark on that healing journey, you get to discover that light. So how, how does that dark phase in your life affect what you do now? Mm, well, it gives me compassion for other people who have survived childhood trauma. It gives me an understanding of how their thinking works against them so that I can help them access how to turn that thinking to work for them instead. Um, because if, if, I, if I could say one thing to have everybody understand it in the world, it would be, you are not broken. You are operating perfectly, responding appropriately to inappropriate experiences, right? So there's nothing wrong with your machinery. It's simply a matter of looking at how you can make the result something that you want as opposed to something that doesn't work for you, right? A lot of that has to do with reframing. A lot of it has to do with energetic work to disassociate the, the anxious, energetic, negative pull of a memory from the actual memory itself, which is inert, right? Because it's that energy that we've got it all bound up in that we get triggered by and we react to, right? So it, it really helps my, my own path, my own journey and evolvement through all of these different levels um, really helps me meet people where they're at and be able to work with them to get a little bit further, as far as, far as they're willing to go. Because I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes it's very scary to make these changes. You know, as, as I can hold my own life up as an example, as you rise, things fall away. And that can be very scary because you don't know what's coming in its place. And if you look back to that childhood trauma, it can't be something good that's coming, right? Well. That's where we shift. <laughs> I hear it. Yeah. It, and I human beings are such funny creatures that way. Uh -huh. The only thing that we can be guaranteed of is that things will change. And the thing that we're most afraid of is that things will change. Yes. 100%. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I find that, that same thing. That's, that's hilarious. Yeah, And I love, like, you already answered the last question, which is, what do you wish people knew? And I would love to have you repeat it, just so people get it. Well, you are not broken. You, you're not. There's nothing wrong with you. You are operating exactly as designed. Now, garbage in, garbage out. Let's write a new program. Put joy in. Put courage in, put confidence in, and then see what comes out. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, your podcasts and stuff, people want to find you, they want to learn a little bit more, where, where do they hit you up at? Well, I got three podcasts. The first is The Spotlight, where we... Um, focus on online entrepreneurs 
um, who are helping people through the chaos and confusion this pandemic is causing. Uh, that one can be found on my personal profile on Facebook at G2 Nicholson. Then we've got Your Life Reimagined, uh, a show that we do out of my group, Your Life Reimagined on Facebook. It is public, so feel free to come join it at any time. And then the third one, we are launching this Tuesday coming up. It's called Three Crones and the Woo Woo, and it can be found on uh, Strong Island TV, Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire Stick, and it's basically just three old broads over 50 like me talking about all things woo-woo. Numerology, crystals, astrology, uh, you know, all of the clairs, clairaudient, clairsentient, clairvoyant, um, and it's a hoot, let me tell you. So if you're looking for fun, that, that's probably the first one to go to. But thanks for having me, and thank you so much for um, creating this space for us to talk about how to get from there to here. Yeah, th and thank you for sharing your story. So just in case you guys missed it the first two times, Gail's message always is, you are not broken. And of course, mine is, you are always loved and never alone. We will catch you again next week. Thank you again for choosing to spend your time with me today. Rock Solid Love is more than a podcast. It's more than my business. It is my message and my mission to help you discover that it is always there within you and around you every moment of every day. If you've heard something here that struck a chord, please share to help spread the message. Send me a voice memo. Let's connect and see where we can take it. Dive a little deeper. There's something that I know for sure. You are more amazing than you think you are. You are never alone and you are always loved. Until next time, I see you, I feel you, and I love you. Here it is, the secrets after the silence portion of the episode, where I need to admit that Gail's message of not being broken is one that hit me really hard because it, I think it's so common when it comes to childhood trauma, whether it is through abuse or bullying or however we get the story that there's something wrong with us. I think that is something that we can pretty much all relate to on some level, thinking that we're the problem and something has got to be wrong with me. And so to have that light that like, wait a minute, I'm not broken and you're not broken. We are doing the best we can with what we have. And when we know better, we do better. So if you're willing to venture into the unknown, 
if you're willing to learn or experiment with a different way of being, life can be different. And of course, human beings, we are funny creatures, freaking weird, I tell you, in that we want things to be better, and yet we are afraid because it boils down to the devil you know. And there is a fear of what may or may not happen if reality changes. So we are never, I am never anyways, in a position to push somebody to be ready to make a change. But I'll tell you, if you're ready, I am here waiting to help you through. I love you. Thanks for listening. And I will see you again next week. As always, remember, you are never alone and always loved.